Open uh, your copy of God's Word to Philippians chapter 1. We've looked at the first few verses. I want us to jump down and look at verses 3 through 8 this morning of chapter 1. Hear God's Word. Let me read it for us. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel." For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Clearly, as uh, Dale has said, this is a passage where the Apostle Paul is um, expressing his love for saints, his love for the church. Uh, it reminded me of uh, an old uh, advertisement. I didn't check the drugstore to see um, if this toothpaste ever is still around, but how many people have used close-up toothpaste before? Yeah, so a lot of it. I think it was the first toothpaste that came out with a jail in 1967. It's been around for, for 50 years, um, but they had a very catchy lifestyle ad that gripped us. And if you'd never tried it, you, you wanted to go get some. They typically would use loving couples that are getting real close together and almost kissing. You know, and then they would throw in the caption, you want love? Get close up. You know, and it's like, we all got it. It's like, yeah, sure. You got to get close if you want to love somebody. Um, and they use the, the language for their toothpaste to just be close up. And Paul seems very close to the congregation at Philippi, and yet he's not there. He's in prison, and he's writing from prison back to them. He says, man, I wish I was there because we're close. I have affections for you. You have affections for me, and I pray for you, and when I pray for you, I, I just can't not thank God for you and what you've done for me and what I've tried to do for you shows us a great picture of a loving congregation, and New Covenant Church is one of those churches where the love of Christ is throughout us. So rejoice in that. Be sharpened in that as, as we focus a little bit on these few verses. I see three ingredients that bring us together for this close relationship. It's prayer. It starts with that. It's a participation with one another in church growth. I'm going to show you the examples he has of that here. And then it's just a pleasure in grace that is experienced and, and shared by the congregation. Let's look at the first one. Prayer to God, beginning there in verse 3. I thank my God. That's prayer. In all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making uh, my prayer with joy. It's a prayer of Gratefulness for the Philippians. Um, when you pray for one another, 
Do you, do you begin by saying, God, I want to pray for this person. But I, first, I just want to stop and thank you for them. Who they are. What they represent. They're saints. They're fellow members of my church. Um, and I want to thank you for them. And I want to thank you for, for what they do, who they are, as well as everything else about them. I just want to stop and, and do that first. And then uh, he'll go and he'll make requests. Uh, just that spirit of gratitude uh, is crucial. And if Paul gets, gets wide, it's like if you go into a restaurant and you've got little small young kids and the waitress or somebody comes up and gives them a balloon. You know, like, oh, a balloon. And you as a parent, you're sitting there waiting to see whether your kid's going to say they're, thank, they're thankful. And if they don't say thank you, you remind them. And then you say thank to the person who gave the balloon. You give your thanks as well. If we have gratitude, we express it. And we should express that kind of gratitude to God. Um, try to get a picture maybe of Paul's gratefulness as he's writing to the Philippians. Uh, we've already seen a little bit how he shows up. And the first day he shows up, he goes down by the river because somebody told him there were some God-fearers down there. Um, and that might be a good place to where people would be receptive to hearing about Jesus. And so he goes and he meets this woman named Lydia. And Lydia's heart was radically changed, like with the first words out of Paul's mouth. And she comes up after the sermon and says, I implore you. I, I'm, I'm not just suggesting that I have a place for you to stay. I want you to come stay in my house and all the people with you. I'm going to put you up. I'm going to take care of you. I want this kind of preaching to keep coming. And so I, you have a place in my home. And she took care of them. Paul says, from my first words, from my very, as soon as I showed up, you folks started taking care of me. Lydia was one of those. And as he continued preaching, he got thrown in jail. You know, we shared uh, a week ago how they, some of the merchants didn't like that he was stealing people away from their sinful merch, merchandise and lifestyle. And so they threw him in prison. But even there, he runs into a jailer whose heart God changed. And the jailer washed his wounds, cleaned him up, said, I want to take you home. Took him to his house before all of his family. And they fed him and they cared for him. And, and Paul thinks of these things, I'm sure, or when people were persecuting how the church stood up, when they're likely to get persecuted as well, stood up for Paul and his cohorts. So when he says, I thank my God for you, he, 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 there's things in his mind, obviously, that he's got to be thinking about that makes him very grateful because they've been together. It's not just a statement he throws out. They've given him financial assistance. They've given him personal assistance. They've clothed him. They've given him food. They've given him a place to stay. Um, they've done so much. What does Paul do? He says, I want to thank God. Now, stop. Think about that a minute. The thank you note, where did it go? Not to the Philippians. It first went to God. He sent the note to God first. 
We need, to, we need to embrace that. Let me give you a couple of passages that you're probably real familiar with. Look at Psalm uh, 95, verse 2. Psalm 95, verse 2. Let us come into His presence, God's presence. How? With thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. When you come into God's presence, and hopefully you're seeking God's presence when you're praying, not just when you're in church, when you, when you come into His presence, says, let us do that with thanksgiving, with gratefulness. God's done something already in our lives. He's doing something in our lives. He's doing something in our church. He's doing something in this world. And we need to slow down when we get into God's presence and be grateful. Because since the last time we were in God's presence, there's a lot we could, be th- we could share with God and say, God, I'm thankful for how you've been working. Look at Psalm 100, verses 4 and 5. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. So here's the coming into the church, uh, the gathering with the people. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations. Uh, I was thinking as we were singing, um, Jonathan just nailed the song selection and even the Westminster selection as far as uh, it coinciding with these passages as and the Philippians passage. Um, So much about God doing such for us that we should be grateful to Him. And praying to him with thankfulness and gratefulness. Um, What's the principle? Here's the principle. Wants to think about. If God's doing so much. That every time we get in his presence. We should be thankful. The principle is this. The people in our lives. Like a Lydia. Or Philippian jailer. Or whoever else. The people in our lives are not a random accident. Paul's experience in Philippians 1 is that from the first day he stepped on Philippian soil, God started taking care of him through Philippians. And he says, when I come into God's presence now, I'm thankful for you. And I share that with him because I realize he was, he was behind it from the first day. God was doing something. It's not random. Now, remember Paul's Macedonian call? Turn with me. I don't know whether i got time to share. Look at Matthew, excuse me, Acts chapter 16. And let me read a little of this just to refresh your memory, okay? Acts 16, this is Paul on his journey to share the gospel, to plant churches, and this is how he got to Philippi. Acts 16, verse 6 says, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, and having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. I don't know how that happened. Somehow the Holy Spirit showed up and said, Paul, can't go to Asia. Okay? And then when they had come to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia. 
But now the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So again, spirit shows up, said, can't do that. So passing Mycenae, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. It's where we need you. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, so setting sail from Troas, a port city, got to go across the pond, we, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia. And that's where he stays. <coughs> now, think about what just happened. No random accident. Paul is on his journey to plant churches. And as, you know, they're walking along, and he says, I'll, you know, they come to some sort of crossroads. Left, it says Asia. You know, probably 23 miles. Yeah. Walk. And so Paul said, that would be awesome. Let's go preach the gospel in Asia. And so he turns left to go to Asia, and the Spirit says, no, that ain't happening. Paul says, okay. And he starts walking again. Now crossroad to the right, Bithynia. Let's go preach to Bithynia. Takes a right, and spirit comes, no, that ain't happening. Paul says, okay, backs up, keeps going straight, ends up in Troas. He is tired, lays down, has a dream. And in the dream, somebody from Macedonia says, come, please, please come, help us. We need you. And so he says, he made a straight path to Philippi, the chief city, or one of the chief cities of Macedonia. That's how he got there. And he says, from the first day, I was unbelievably blessed with ministry success and people taking care of my every need. Even though I was persecuted and beat half to death, there was always somebody. That was there. That didn't just happen, you see. He wanted to go to Asia. He wanted to go to Bithynia. It didn't just happen that he shows up in Philippi, and it didn't just happen that Philippi showed up for Paul. You get it? Sometimes we forget that our Creator has a plan. And he leads us down a particular road to ministry. And that's not random. Who's the Lydia in your path? The Philippian jailer. The church group. You know, do we, do we realize that many of the people around us Handpicked, selected by God for ministry to us. And in the same way, we are handpicked, elected by God for ministry to them. How about your husband, your wife, your kids, your parents, people you work with? Now, as I think about my relationship with my wife, 
I think, God, there's, there's lots and 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 lots of men that are as handsome as I am, right? We're a dime a dozen. But she's one of a kind. How did a dime a dozen man get together with such a beautiful and wonderful servant of the Lord? That's not random. That's not an accident. That was a divine act. And any of you pick your parents? That's rare, isn't it? That you get to do that. That's not a random act that God chose for you someone that he wanted to work through to bring you into this world. And they're significant. And so as you think about honoring your parents, why? Thank God first. Send a thank you note to God. You think about honoring your husband, your wife. Send a thank you note to God. As you think about your employment, your gifts, your ability that you have to do what you do, send the note to God. Because he created and designed a life for you that enables you to do what you do now. It's not random. It was clearly not random for Paul. Why would it be random for us? Consider the people in your house, in your life, your neighborhood, your community, every small ministry, and sing thankfulness to God. Enter into his presence with a thankful heart. God, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. I thought as I was praying for some of you this morning, whenever I got extra time on Sundays, I'd say, God, what you want me to do with my extra time? And the answer is, pray for your church. Pray for the guest. And as I was thinking about that this morning, I was thinking, Lord, I, I, I just, I, I don't want to pray for particular needs I know. I, I, I just want to come before you and thank you for them. Who they are. What I've seen them do. What I've seen them do in their families and their home and their work and their lives. Not what I've seen you do for me, but just what I've seen God doing. And I ran out time real quick. Not able to get through very many when you stop and you just, you just meditate on what God is doing. And sometimes we forget that we are in a group of saints and because we are possessed by Christ, His Spirit, there's significant things that are happening. God is using and directing us. Um, Paul goes on, verse 4, says, always in every prayer of mine, for you all, he's a southerner, right? For you all, you got to say it like that. For you all, making my prayer with joy. With joy. Bring joy to your prayers by seeing the divine hand of God in everyone you meet and all the circumstances around you. And again, realize that we have been elected and chosen by God for such a time as this, for these ministries that God's brought into our life. Um, great joy. Um, why? God's continuing to meet our needs, isn't he? 
He's continuing to, to lead us to people. Through people, he meets our needs. Uh, I've uh, had a great privilege uh, to be one of those individuals that's able to pray with people to see them come to Christ. Usually people are loved over seven times by somebody trying to share Christ with them before they come to Christ. So you could be the person sharing Christ with somebody for the first time, or you could be the person who gets to share, with Christ, share Christ with them the seventh time, and they pray to receive Christ. My wife will tell you, when, when that happens, a lot of times in crisis counseling in my office, I ask people to say, well, let's evaluate where you are with Christ, why you have this crisis, as we evaluate how to solve it. And I get the opportunity to say, well, do you know Christ? No, not really. Would you like to know Christ? Yes. How does that happen? So, well, you just receive him. You just pray. As many as receive him, to them he gives the right to be his children and have all the benefits of children. That's your need. And I share that with them, and they say, well, can we do that now? Sure, let's pray. And I go home, and I tell my wife, I said, I had another opportunity to share Christ. And in that opportunity, they received Christ. Um, and it's like, wow, so thankful to God to be used of him. Because I don't save anybody. You don't save anybody. You just get to be used by God. Sometimes in that spiritual life-changing way, other times you're taking the meal, you're wiping a bruised face and bleeding body, you're giving clothes, you're, you're doing stuff. And it's still a divine act by God um, and it's blessing others. Well, let me move on. Prayer to God. Prayer makes us close when we take the time to recognize God's the one who made us close and we start thanking him for it. Um, participation in church growth. Let me hit you with verse 5 and 6. I think there's a period in my Bible. Um, I don't think the period needs to be there. Punctuation was added later on after the scriptures were written, which made it hard to translate. And here's a good place where I think uh, you could have it either way. So obviously the ESV translators are putting verse 5 with verse 4. I see it working the other way around, verse 5 and verse 6 going together. So it would read like this. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. So he who began a work, the beginning was this partnership. Christ began a partnership with you and me, with the gospel. You shared the good news. He says, let's be one. Let's be united. You receive me. I come into you. Let's be one. Uh, and because of that very act of Christ coming to us, I am convinced he's going to stay with you. In other words, your perseverance convinces me. You're constantly, from the first day until now, you're constantly thinking about Christ. You're praying to Christ. You're doing things for Christ. That perseverance convinces me it's real, it's genuine. God started it. And if God started it, he's going to complete it. He's going to finish it. He doesn't mess up. 
He doesn't make mistakes. So I'm convinced if he started it, you can have a partnership with God until you see Christ, the day of Christ. You're going to be preserved by God. Preservation is proven to us through perseverance by us. But we don't persevere unless we have a partnership with Christ that he started. We didn't initiate it. He came to us and he started it. So this participation is a participation in uh, growing in Christ and growing the church. It's kind of the snowball effect. If, if you roll a snowball together and you got a good long hill, as you get it going, whatever number of revolutions it needs, and then you finally get to push it off, you have confidence with a steep hill, this is going to keep going. And it's going to get bigger and bigger, and it's more and more wonderful as it happens. Well, if God's done something like that in your life, if, if he's turned you over inside out, and he's changed you, and you see him just keep using you, and using you, and using you, you, you gain a confidence, this is going to keep going. Because God's behind it, and God's in it. Now, what are some of the things ways that we participate in church growth, because that's a term, you know, seems like we've dropped in our individualism society. We don't think about building churches. Let preachers do that. Instead of, no, God's using all of us. We all have spiritual gifts, little things we all do. We participate together. That's what the language that Paul is using here. He says, uh, we have a partnership in the gospel, in the good news of Christ from the first day of now. So we're partnering. There, there, there's a work we do that's a partnership. And I'm sure of this, that he who began it, God, it's a good work in you, will complete it um, until the day of Christ. Now, so I went looking. What are some of the things that the Philippians did? that Paul would consider to be a partnership. Uh, let's look at some of them. Uh, I think it's worth time to look at some. Look at Acts chapter 16, verse 40. Acts 16. Well, here's another one before that. Acts 16, start at verse 13. Acts 16, verse 13, kind of where I left off reading. Acts 16, 13 says, And on the Sabbath day we went outside... Uh, the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together and one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God and the Lord opened her heart see she got a new heart first day opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul and after she was baptized and her household as well she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, to my house, um, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Uh, verse 40. So they went out uh, of the prison, and they visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So a church is gathering there at Lydia's house by the time you get to verse 40. But what, are the, what was the partnership? It involved giving food to the missionaries. It involved 
giving housing, a place to start a small group, to start a church. That's what she was doing. It involved encouragement. Um, it involved clothing. You know, it's why churches sometimes get into food banks and clothing banks and all. This is a partnership. Do we have people with those needs? How can we help them? Because we're doing it in the name of Christ, and Christ is using us to build his people up. So they showed hospitality. Hospitality is key for believers. They encouraged one another. Uh, it's kind of like uh, the Ephesians passage in chapter 4, verse 16. Let me read it real quick. Uh, it says, um, well, verse 15, Rather, speaking the word in truth, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom, verse 16, the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's what you see happening at Philippi. Every member of the body of Christ became a minister, day one. And they started contributing. What do I have? What can I contribute? They didn't all become preachers. They all became givers and participants and partners in a ministry of church growth. Starting, building, growing a church in Philippi. What do you have to contribute to that? Um, some more. Let's turn to the book of Philippians. Uh, they were clearly just companions. Look at chapter 4 of Philippians, verse 3. It says, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Got two women who don't agree, and Paul says, I got a true companion, companion out there, right? Help me to help them, and let us all help one another. And we're going to help one another, I think, through companionship, being there for one another when we need someone. Again, was it the preachers or teachers that were doing that reconciliation? It was companions of one another, coming alongside each other to do some of that. Look at verse 6 of chapter 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. One of the ways you partner and participate in church growth is prayer. Again, with thanksgiving, making everything a church growth need, a church growth issue. How do I build up my church? And that's the people, the saints that are in it. How do I help them? Let me begin with prayer. Take it to God and thank God for it. Um, be prayer warriors. We should be setting aside time every day just to pray. Um, chapter 4, verse 14 says, It was kind of you to share my trouble. Wow, that's a cool phrase. You ever sit down with people in this room and say, just... How about today you just share, me, share with me your troubles? And some people will say, wow, that's awful kind of you. Because people want to hear me say, yeah, I'm doing fine. 
but not too many people will really have time to say, share with me some troubles. Maybe I can be a part of the solution. Maybe I can just intercede and pray. But that's our partnership. That's what we do. That's close-up ministry. It's not ministry we necessarily pay for um, with cash, with dollars. It's paid for with time and love and compassion. Um, sharing the troubles with others. Now, the finances are clearly here. It's chapter 4, verse 15. And you, you Philippians, yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Interesting, isn't it, that it wasn't by accident that Paul showed up there. He wanted to go to Asia, wanted to go to Bithynia. He's passing by some church groups, even in Macedonia. But he says, nobody, nobody helped me but you. Paul didn't know he needed the Philippians. The Philippians knew they needed Paul. They're saying, come over here, come over here. Paul didn't know he needed them, and yet he did. He said, I wouldn't have had resources to do what I did had you not been given. And we'll look at it when we get to this passage later. Macedonia was a very poor region, and these folks didn't have anything, and yet they're the ones being the most generous and gracious of givers. Keep reading verse 16. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help. So we left Philippi. We go to a, another town, and you still send supplies, money supplies. Verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from, the, from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And then he says, and so I'm convinced God's going to supply your every need. That's what our God does. He supplies needs. But he uses Lydia's and Philippian jailers and people like you and me to meet those needs. So consider what are you doing for church growth. See, did your answer get bigger? I hope so. Because if you hang around and just talk to somebody and get somebody's troubles, take them to prayer, um, little stuff like that, or you faithfully just give tithes and offerings, you are involved. You're in a partnership for church growth. All of these things are part of the, the picture of what the Philippians were doing that Paul was so thankful for. Um, consider what we're doing. And let's also have this confident participation that Paul would, would want us to have. Back in chapter 1 of Philippians, verse 6, I'm sure of this, I'm sure of this, confident, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Let us have that confidence in each other that God's begun something in you, right? Yeah, I see it. I'm confident that's going to keep going. That snowball's going to grow. And it's just going to become more and more significant. And as we get to Christ, and Christ gives awards, we're going to be thanking Christ because he's, he began it. He started the whole thing. 
And he's bringing us to himself. And it's going to be such a wonderful time is how Paul is leading these Philippians to be together. He just sees evidence of God's preservation. Um, it reminded me of a friend I had in college that he loved to speak of Christ and he loved to sing of Christ and he was good at both. And I came home for summer. He was in Greenville where I was and I called him up. Hey, how are you doing? Let's get together since I'm home for summer from college. And he said, well, I'm not doing real good. He says, I've, uh, I've dropped out of college. That's why I'm here. And I've lost my job. I need a job. And um, I really don't know what I'm going to do. I said, well, I'm your friend, man. Uh, but we've got other friends. What's, what are these guys doing? He says, they've rejected me. They're kind of, I don't have a friend. I said, no, I'm your friend. I'll be there. And so I went over. And it was just surprising that his friends had walked out, other friends, and he had lost his job, dropped out of college, and was hearing from biological family, you're no good, you'll never make, make it, you'll never amount to anything, that kind of story. I didn't have resources. I just had some time. I was home for the summer. And I said, Paul, I, I, I don't have much, but I said, oh, i got 10 weeks before i got to go back to college. Why don't we meet every week? And I'll bring some scripture to the table. We'll look at scripture, um, some subjects we need to talk about maybe, and um, we'll pray together and we'll see where that takes us. And so we did that for 10 weeks. And as we did that, he found another job, got back in school, got in a great place, started serving the Lord. Um, and I went back to college. When I got back to college, there was a, some mail waiting on me. And it was a little plaque. And it says, a true friend is one who walks in when everybody else walks out. And it changed my life. Because I didn't know I was doing that. I was just being a companion. I was just being a partner in Christ. I was just being a participant. But it was life-changing. And you do stuff like that. And you can do more and more and more of it. And when you do, it gets us close up. That we have affection for one another. We yearn to see one another and to minister to one another. I think that's what Paul's describing. It becomes such a pleasure in grace. Verse 7 and 8. He says, It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. You are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. God's my witness. I call on God. To strike me if I'm lying. This is true. God is my witness. That I love you. And care for you. And you love me. And you care for me. Can we do it better? Yes. Can we do it more? Probably. And we want to. We yearn for it. We know that's where the significance of life is found. It's not in watching another game. 
It's not in watching more television. It's not in flipping channels or scrolling sites. Significance is when people meet with people who are in Christ and they grow each other because the Spirit is working through us using whatever we have, whatever God's granted us to take care of part of the body of Christ. Paul says it feels good. That's what he's saying. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way. He says, I feel good when I think of you. I feel good. You know what I mean? Right? I feel good. It feels good to love someone and to be loved by someone. Uh, belabor the point just a little more. I, I went and played golf one, one day with someone that I thought, this person could uh, maybe be another one of the companions God's blessed me with that uh, I'd enjoy hanging out with. And he called me up and said, uh, you know, I've kind of dropped out of my church and things aren't going real well. How about let's play golf? I said, yeah, sounds good. Let's do it. And so I go and play golf with him. And during that time, you know, I'm asking, well, how's your wife? How's your kids? How's work going? Uh, What's going on at church? Different things. Just constantly trying to pour into him anything I've got. Trying to learn his situation and see how um, I can help. I get back home. Um, by the way, I think I won. I can't remember. But maybe that was my mistake. I probably cheated. That was the only reason I won. You know, I kicked my ball around. Some people don't know how to use the foot putter like I do. Um, but I got back home. And my wife said, how'd that go? I know you were hoping that uh, maybe uh, this would be a, a companion for you, male companionship. And I said, hmm. It went okay as far as ministry is concerned, but I don't think this is going to be a male companion. And she said, why not? And I said, because, I mean, we, we spent four hours together before and after the game and during the game. And uh, I said, not once did he ever ask me how you were doing, my wife, or how my family was doing, or how my church was doing. Um, I said, there was no partnership. No partnership. You got to have that. You may have people in your life that are pouring into you. You got to be pouring back. Yearn for that relationship, not for a one way street. Yearn to, to give and open yourself up to receive so that you can get close. And that's what was happening between Paul and the Philippians. And I want it happening. With you, I get it from this phrase where he says, We are partakers, you all, partakers with me of grace. It's a partnership. We partake together. Not just one of us. We do it together. And we need to have that kind of emph- emphasis. Um, that's what Paul had. Um, Paul and the Philippians, it's not a unique relationship. It's not unique here. We have it. We can grow it. Uh, Are you regarded as a partner with Christ? What's your partnership? How are you growing the church? Church growth is not just a plan that preachers do. 
It's one by one saints building up saints. What's your partnership? What's your part in that? And there's so many ways we can do it. Um, if you say, you know, that's not me. I'm not sure I'm a partner with the church to build the church. Then maybe this is your first day. Maybe this is the day you receive Christ. And you start a journey following Christ, building his church, because the gates of hell won't prevail against that. You won't be on the road to hell. You'll be on this train to glory where Christ's church, all who are partners in the church, gather those from every nation, tribe, and tongue around the throne of God and give him thanks for his church. If you need help in praying to receive Christ, let me know. It would be my highest privilege to do that with you. That partnership can begin. It can begin today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for close-up words that you've given us between Paul and the Philippians and between your church and you. We thank you that you're not a God that winds us up like a clock and sticks back and doesn't really care. But you participate with us from the first day until the end. You complete the work in us that you've begun. And you never take your hands off. You never forsake us. You never leave us. We praise you for that. Thank you that we have confidence in perseverance. We have confidence in preservation. All by grace. All because of you. We give you praise. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Use us. Draw your people to yourself. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.